August. So what happens? Adam Azer takes off. Guys taking a day off in August. I guess we can understand. No, unacceptable. Unacceptable. No days Chris off. Says. This is this is the heat of the fantasy baseball playoff, and this guy is just not playoff season. Ugh. And this guy is just taking off. They're called the dog days for a reason, because you're supposed to be like a dog and stay loyal. <laughs> Or you're sick like a dog because it's gone on for so long. Chris Towers and Scott White here uh, for Fantasy Baseball Today. And we got a lot to talk about. We got a lot to talk about. Short time to do it because the football guys want to come in here and talk about very important football things that time of year. The jocks are going to push us out is what's going to happen. We're the nerds. They're the jocks. They're going to they're gonna bully us out of our podcast room. Yeah, that may be what happens. But first... We have a word here from Buffalo Wild Wings. Sports trades are scary. One person can be replaced by another, exchanged for money, or given away for a hypothetical future person. And once they leave your team, you can't like them anymore, even if you have their jersey, which you can't wear anymore. Except at B-dubs. They won't judge, but others might. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings. Beer. Sports. So some baseball actually happened yesterday, even though nobody wants to acknowledge baseball season is going on. A little bit. We do have some big news. Michael Fulmer has a nerve issue in his elbow with numbness and tingling in his fingers. Sounds bad. What I want to ask you, Chris, is, is the big news really big news? I think so. I think you have to, I think you have to view Michael Fulmer as a risk moving forward. This is a guy who you know, has been a model of consistency over the last two seasons, was one of the uh, few pitchers who hadn't gone on the DL yet this season but you know they're saying it's a, a nerve issue in the elbow something that he's dealt with over the last couple of years but this is the first time that he's ever had that numbness during a start and I don't know it, it's it's so tough with pitcher injuries because everything gets downplayed unless it's like a disaster every single injury is going to be well it doesn't seem that serious Dallas yeah. Keuchel is going to make his next start and all of a sudden he misses a month and a half um yeah, so, so there are a lot of extenuating circumstances here. Fulmer says he hopes to throw in 10 to 12 days. You mentioned this is something he's dealt with. Well, he, he says for years, and, and the way Brad Ausmus described it was normally after starts he gets that numb feeling in his pinky and his ring finger, and this time he got it in his middle finger as well. So, I, I mean, you hear about numbness in the pitching hand that affects how they throw pitches. So it, it sounds... I would normally think it's a big problem and not something you would expect him to return from in 10 to 12 days, but the history he has with this, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure it is that big of a deal. It is worth pointing out two of his last three starts were his worst. Yeah. So, you know, maybe it's been affecting him more than he's let on or even realized. I just, I think there's almost never a, a really minor uh, pitching issue, injury, like, even you look at like Steven Strasburg, another guy who had, I believe, a, a similar issue, right? His his was a nerve issue in his elbow. And that was one where it was like, ah, he's fine. He's going to make his next start. He's going to throw a bullpen session. He'll be fine. We're 
you know, 10 days out and he still hasn't thrown or still hasn't thrown off a mound. So, you know, between the fact that it's a pitcher and the fact that there's, what, five weeks left in the in the regular season, six yeah. weeks left in the fantasy season, you know, this could. I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything actionable here. I'm not saying you should drop Michael Fulmer, but you should prepare to be without him for the next two weeks. Okay. And, you know, obviously if you're in a league without playoffs, then – it doesn't affect you as much. There's a little bit more time to work with. Um, I do think maybe, you know, if, if he throws a couple bullpen sessions, kind of the, the concern goes down. Do you, do you think it might be a good time to try trading him then when it looks like he's on the verge of coming back? Because trading for him? Trading him trading? away because you're fearful that this could become. Sure. I think I think any optimistic report that you get could be an opportunity to sell him because you've got a situation where, he might come back, and he might come back great. We see guys come off the DL and pitch really well all the time. But you know, if, let's say he misses the next two weeks. All of a sudden, you're up to week 21 when he's able to pitch for you. And then let's say he has a return like Dallas Keuchel. I'm not worried about Dallas Keuchel necessarily, but his first two starts, he hasn't provided much value. And I think that's typically a pretty fair thing to assume when a pitcher's coming off the DL is that they're going to need some time to get back. All of a sudden, you could be looking at a situation where Michael Farmer was not helping you until week 22. Yeah. And I don't think he's a pitcher on the level of Keuchel or Kershaw anyway. He's very yeah. good, but not that good. Okay, so I want to talk about a couple of studs here who did studly things on Thursday. The first one we'll talk about is Paul Goldschmidt yeah. with a three-homer game. Monster game. And obviously, we know he's the top first baseman. We know he's, you know, in the discussion to go second overall next year, but three homer game, like he he was Jose Quintana's worst enemy in this game because he was pretty much in individually responsible for Quintana having his worst start as a Cub. And you had a great stat on Goldschmidt before the show. Yeah, he raised his OPS thirty points yesterday. Yeah, in one day. In, in one August. day in August. Yeah. That's a that's a hell of a game. So, Corey Kluber threw a complete game against the Yankees. Three hits, one run, one walk, 11 strikeouts. It was his ninth double-digit strikeout effort in 10 games. Since coming back from the DL, right? Uh, I don't I, – does that cover the whole span? Like, what, did he have one start before that or anything? I don't know. It. I mean, he's been ridiculous. He's and been nearly as good as his Cy Young season, if not – Oh, I'm not sure this isn't the best Corey Kluber yeah. we've ever seen. I don't, I don't know that he can win a Cy Young with the way – well, I mean, obviously we still have two months to sort that out, but Chris Sale's still the front runner, I would assume. But Corey Kluber's making up ground, and he, he did s something historical in this start. He joins Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, and Nolan Ryan as the only pitchers with 12 straight eight strikeout games ever. And that's – that span is since coming back from the DL. That that covers his very first start. Since coming back from the DL, he has a 177 ERA. Yeah. Averaging 7.2 innings per start with a 18% swinging strike rate. You know what the craziest part for me is for th for the year, so not necessarily that's not that span where he has the 170 ERA, but for the year where his numbers are still great. A, a 291 BABIP. It's pretty much within the norm for him. So it's not like, I mean, the way he's missing bats right now, and it, it kind of coincides with um, a conversation he had with the Indians pitching coach 
where he needed to throw his curveball more, and he has leaned on his curveball a lot. And uh, it's just it's it's helped him find a new level here. I, I I think it looks as sustainable as something like this can be. He's been I I did this exercise last night after the Michael Fulmer injury, where I looked at the top forty eight pitchers in terms of uh, ADP before the season, <clears throat> and I just tried to like put a little check mark next to everyone who's been basically who has provided value based on their ADP, and I put one next to Corey Kluber. And then I remembered, or people reminded me on Twitter, that he actually went on the DL for a month. I had totally forgotten that because he's been so good that I don't feel like he's been disappointing even a little bit. Yeah, no, I don't either. So he's, Kluber, definitely a pitcher we like. Let's talk about a few other pitchers from Thursday. I've called this section pitchers we like, question mark? Yeah. Because I'm not totally sure about some of them. We'll begin with uh, Hermut. Herman Marquez, who I was making a big deal of after his last start. It was his third straight with nine strikeouts or more. And uh, this one wasn't as good. Against the Mets at home, six innings, three earned runs, three walks to five strikeouts. It was a step back for Marquez, but what? What? how do you assess him overall? He's He's an interesting pitcher because he's having success as a Rockies pitcher without getting a lot of ground balls. And that's not usually what we would expect from uh, a pitcher having success in Colorado. And, you know, he's got an above-average strikeout rate. His walk rate's about average, maybe a little bit better. His ground ball percentage is well below average, 42%. So I have trouble seeing him really being a helpful fantasy option in cores. Maybe on the road he can be a streaming option, but I just I, I can't see him continuing to succeed while pitching a course. Well, I don't know that just because he's so early in his career. I mean, he's a rookie for goodness sakes. I don't know that it's totally fair to assess him based on his season line. It it does seem like he's found another gear lately. And if I'm I'm expressing disappointment over a quality start at Coors Field, that kind of shows you the strides he's made. Still had 12 swinging strikes in this yeah. game. Uh, 68% owned. I mean, that that's gone up some, but based on what's now this four-start stretch, I, I think it needs to go up from there. And, and you know I'm always I'm always dismissive of the Rockies pitchers. I've given John Gray a chance because I feel like the talent level is so high. And I kind of think Marquez, you know, 98-mile-per-hour fastball, big hook. I kind of feel like it's the same way for him. I think he's such a talent that he may be able to overcome that Horrible, he, horrible environment. He has a 3.66 ERA since the start of July. It's worth noting. Uh, 44 strikeouts and 39 in the third inning. So, you know what that reminds me of? Carlos Carrasco. Yeah, yeah, but Carlos Carrasco. Th- that's the thing I always come back to is Carlos Carrasco doesn't pitch a course, and so it's just, yeah, he could be someone that I'm really interested in if he pitched somewhere else. Sonny Gray's first start as a Yankee was, you know. Fine. It was fine. It was fine. Two two runs in six innings, three walks, six strikeouts. You know, he was outpitched by Corey Kluber. It was first start with seven with more than two walks, but I, I I don't think there's any reason his value changes because of this start. I am a little worried about Alex Wood and the direction he's headed here. It was a solid start, one earned run in six innings. 
Rebounded from two shaky starts, but only two strikeouts in this start, and that gives him 5.7 strikeouts per nine innings in his last four starts compared to 10.8 per nine heading into that. So is he starting to lose it? I noticed the velocity's gone back to normal yep. over the last few starts. It, it, has something changed here for Alex Wood? Are you, are you concerned that he's losing value? Sure. I mean, in... I'm pulling up his monthly splits. Uh, he averaged 91.7 with his fastball, according to Brooks Baseball yesterday. And that is continuing a trend where he was in, you know, the 93 to 94 range in May. And since coming back from the DL, his velocity has been back down to the 90, 91, 92 range. You know, if you're if you're talking about what made Alex Wood take that big step forward, it's, I think, partially... He's just a he's a good pitcher who does a good job of hiding the ball. He's deceptive. Batters have always had trouble picking him up. But yeah. I, know, I think he's always been very good when he's been healthy and when he's yeah. gotten the chance. But what pushed him to that next level, I thought, was the fact that he was deceptive mm-hmm. and his stuff seemed to take a big step forward. And that's for me, you know, if he's back in the ninety one uh mile per hour range, it probably lowers his ceiling just a bit. Now, I did say a couple of interesting things after this start. First, he admitted he's a little tired, yep. which is probably not something you want to admit with the way the Dodgers have handled their rotation this year, swapping guys out at the drop of the hat. Uh, but secondly, he he talked about he he felt like his mechanics were a little off and there was a small change he needed to make, which may be partially responsible. Either one of those may be re- partially responsible for the slight ju- drop in velocity that we've seen. I think it's... I, I I'm not ready to say he's a lesser pitcher than he was before. I see the discouraging signs. I'm willing to give him a little longer to right the ship than just, you know, these last four starts. I am also very excited about Colin McHugh, who second straight start that was really good, one and run in six innings with six strikeouts, just two walks. He's 66% owned. Uh, I, I actually hyped him and... Herman Marquez together in a waiver wire column recently. And uh, I like the trend we've seen from McHugh since coming off the DL. First of all, he learned a slider that he didn't really throw previously. Learned it from Brad Peacock, who himself learned it from his latest stint in the Astros minor league system. We've seen what it's done done for Peacock. It's made him an elite bat misser um, after being just a journeyman before that. Colin McHugh... Swinging strikes in his three starts since coming off the DL. He had eight in the first start, but I think more than half of them were on the slider, and it was mm-hmm. a short start. Then 11 in the last start. That was the first good one, and 13 in this one. A guy who was always already thought to have a dominant curveball. I think he's must-add, only 66% owned. I think that's fair. I guess, um, I guess the slider is being classified on Baseball Savant as a cutter for Colin McHugh. He threw 15 of them yesterday. Only had three swinging strikes with that pitch, according to this. Ten swinging strikes with his fastball. He doesn't have the type of fastball that you necessarily expect to be blowing by hitters. Average is 91, peaks at around 92. Um, But, yeah, what we've seen from him, I I think he's definitely someone that that needs to be added more than he is. Am I an idiot for liking Trevor Cahill? Four and two-thirds innings, six hits, two runs. Two walks, three strikeouts, two bad starts with the Royals, and two home runs in each. So it's not like that ground ball rate is 
really worked in his favor there. And, and his last start at San Diego was terrible. Was, was I wrong to think something had actually changed for Trevor Cahill? I don't think so. Um, this is something that, you know, he's allowed 10 home runs on the season. Two in each of his last two starts. Three on July 9th to the Phillies. Um, he's been a lot less sharp over his last handful of starts. But this is something that I that I talked about with Masahiro Tanaka earlier on in the season, is that if, if your biggest issue is that you're giving up home runs in bunches, that's a concern. But it depends on how you're going about letting those home runs up. If you are Denelson Lamette and you, you know, 65% of the batted balls that you allow are in the air, you're going to give up a lot of home runs. But, you know, Trevor Cahill is a ground ball pitcher. He always has been. And so I'm not, I'm not necessarily worried about home runs. Home I don't runs. think that's going to be an issue for him if yeah. he continues. The bigger thing is that he hasn't been missing bats lately. Right. Right, that's mainly what concerns me. And look, the the breaking ball, he, he started throwing a curveball a lot more this year. That mm-hmm. seemed to coincide with that, and, and he's still been throwing it a lot. So I don't know. I don't know that all is all hope is lost there, but my excitement over Cahill was more theoretical than actual to begin with. Now for the season, he has a 4.13 ERA and yeah. a 1.44 whip. And there was some buzz, some talk, I guess, back around the trade deadline when the Royals were still looking to acquire another starting pitcher, that Cahill might get bumped to the bullpen. So I don't know that we can completely rule out that possibility if he has another start or two like this one. I, I think – I don't know that I'm that enthusiast, in, enthused to own him in a in a, in a a um, a mixed league anymore. I'd certainly drop him for either McHugh or Marquez. Zach yeah, Greinke, I think that's okay. Zach Greinke had a bad start at the Cubs – Five earned runs on nine hits and six innings, couple home runs. He's been so great, I don't think we're worried about him. Jose Quintana, we mentioned Paul Goldschmidt got the better of him. All three of Goldschmidt's home runs were the three home runs Quintana allowed. It was his first bad start as a Cub. He's been on a good trend. I don't think we're really worried about him either. If you if you have a bad start, but all of the hits are by one hitter, all the runs are off one hitter's bat, does that really mean it was a bad start, or does that mean you just – that one hitter was awesome that day. Ran into a good hitter. That's a good point because that was half of the hits Quintana yeah, allowed and too. And Paul Goldschmidt is, you know, one of the four or five best hitters in baseball. So yeah. it's not exactly uh it's not exactly an embarrassment to struggle against him. So was we talked about was I wrong to think Cahill was a different pitcher? Was I wrong to think Sean Newcomb was a different pitcher? We saw him struggle with control throughout his minor league career, high walks rate rates, great stuff. But could he overcome the walks? First four starts, it looked like, oh, look, he doesn't walk, guys. Three per nine innings, that wasn't so bad. Last six starts, 7.6 per nine innings, including seven walks and four and two-thirds innings in, in Thursday start. Yeah, and for the the key thing here, I think, is that for his fir- first few starts, uh, Sean Newcomb was getting – about 53% swing swing rate. That means he was getting swings on more than half the pitches he was throwing. That's a sign that you are fooling batters. If you've got great stuff and you can't necessarily control it, but guys are still swinging it anyway, this is like Francisco Liriano stuff. Over the last few starts, it's gone all the way down. Over the last three, it's below 45%. All of a sudden, that can be the explanation for the increased walk rate. Guys are just saying, well, if he's not going to throw it in the strike zone, I'm not going to swing at it. 
and that could be what we're seeing right now. You know what? I actually, I'm just going off memory here, so I may have this wrong, but I, I think I remember seeing a tweet from one of the Braves beat writers really before the stretch started. Mm-hmm. And it was more about to point out how good of a pitch framer Tyler Flowers was. Tyler Flowers did catch Newcomb Thursday. Um, but it was pitchers who've had strikes, pitches outside the zone get called for strikes. And I think I remember Newcomb was not at the very top of that list near it. So, um, yeah, that that may be running out too. Still a lot of upside, but I don't think there's much reason to hold on to him in mixed leagues. They'll kind of run he's been on. Do you agree? Yeah, I'd st- I'm, I've got him in a 10-team league. I'll still hang on to him. I think the upside's there, and there's just there's not always enough pitchers with upside that I'm willing to uh, get rid of one who has it. Marquez, McHugh, you swap him for them? Maybe. He's I'm much gonna, less owned. Newcomb's I'll, down to 41% now. I'll take a look. Okay. All right, guys. Have you ever worn a custom suit, a made-to-measure suit that fits you perfectly? You can customize every detail. You'll look amazing. You'll feel confident. And with Indochino and our promo code FBT, you can get this kind of suit for 50% off with free shipping. Go to Indochino.com and use the code FBT at checkout. You need to have a great suit. It's really important for a wedding, a job interview, whatever the occasion may be, use Indochino. Indochino has suited up hundreds of thousands of men and is now the largest made-to-measure menswear brand in the world. Visit a showroom or shop online at Indochino.com. Pick your fabric, choose your customizations, submit your measurements, place your order, and wait for it to arrive in just a few weeks. Here's our offer. Our listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $379 at Indochino.com when entering FBT at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price for made-to-measure premium suit, plus shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code FBT for any premium suit for just $379 and free shipping. All right, let's get to the news and notes. Keon Broxton has started three straight games in center field. Lewis Brinson is nowhere to be seen. That's disappointing, but not entirely unexpected. Yeah, I don't understand what the Brewers are doing there. Um, Lewis Brinson got a pinch hit appearance. I think he's got one in two of the last three games, so that's great. But I don't understand how he's helping them. I don't understand how this is helping him his development. I don't think there's any value to what they're doing right now. I guess I mean obviously they're trying to win, but I I don't know. I don't I don't think I don't think it was clear Lewis Brinson wasn't helping them with that. And I also just don't like I don't think it helps to have a twenty one year old or twenty two year old coming off the bench. Like that's just yeah that's a difficult thing for a young player to do. Ian Desmond, who's been out with a calf injury, won't return when eligible Saturday. I don't know that we'll see him for a while, frankly. Greg Holland, who cut his finger in a kitchen mishap, pitched an inning Thursday, allowing a hit with two strikeouts, so he seems to be fine. Jonathan LaCroix had a stomach illness, but he was back Thursday, went two for three in his Rockies debut. Both singles, but, you know, first start at Coors Field. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, it was a good sign. Brad Peacock returns to the rotation Friday with Lance McCullers out with a back injury, so good for you for holding on to Peacock. He's 85% owned still. Doesn't seem like many people dropped him. Anthony Desclafani making his third rehab start after missing the entire season with an elbow injury, left with forearm discomfort. So not expecting to see him this year personally. Cole Calhoun out since Sunday with a strained hamstring, should return Friday. 
He hasn't been very good this year. Cameron Maybin, out with a knee injury, will begin a minor league rehab assignment Friday and probably should be owned in all Roto leagues. He's still among, I think, the top five in stolen bases, even having missed the last few weeks. George Springer has a quad injury, as we know, and he won't be ready to return off the DL when he's first eligible Friday. Jason Kipnis, out with a hamstring injury, is expected to come back Sunday after missing a month. Does Jason Kipnis, is, is he like is he going to be must-own when he's healthy again? Do you still view him in that light? Cause he, he certainly wasn't uh, yeah, before it was this. Bad. But it was bad. And like the BABIP was low. Like it, it it seemed like, you know, the similar strikeout rate. It seemed like there was some bad luck there, but he just wasn't hitting the ball with the same authority either. Line drive rate was down. Yeah, I but know. I would – he's 81% owned. That's probably low. If he's available in your league, this is a guy who can be a difference maker. But I'd uh, rather have Whit Merrifield now. I'd rather have – I'd, rather, I'd rather have Scooter Jeanette now. I'd rather start Whit Merrifield, but okay. I want Jason Kipnis on my team. Adam Wainwright, who – Missed a couple starts with a back injury. He will return Sunday, which That's means frustrating. That's disappointing. Yeah. This like is he, even worse than the Lewis Brenzett thing. Yeah, Luke he, Weaver was great last year. He time. hasn't been any good. Adam Wainwright, just since the start of last season, he's had like month-long stretches where he's been pretty good, but we're talking about a 36-year-old who suffered an Achilles injury. He's he's just not uh, he's not anything more than an average pitcher at best right now, and Luke Weaver has the upside to be m- much more than that. So it's disappointing that Luke Weaver – is probably going to lose his job. And he certainly made an impression. I, I think we'll see him again soon, as I told somebody on Twitter. Rosters are about to start looking weird. And I would also point out that in the Brad Peacock mold, spots tend to open up in rotations. Yes. Yes. So don't, you know, if roster space is limited, it is one good start that uh, that we're really hanging our hat on with Weaver. So it's not quite the same as Peacock, but... Certainly very in good deeper leagues I'd be holding on and to. And a very good minor league track record. Yes, absolutely. Mike Clevenger is temporarily in the bullpen because of a rainout. He's not losing his job. Mike Tomlin's out. Or, sorry, Josh Tomlin. I think Adam did that too. <laughs> uh, Josh Tomlin's out for a while still. So Clevenger's spot is safe, but you may see him make a relief appearance soon. Brandon Woodruff, Brewers pitcher, is coming up to start on Friday. Was supposed to debut in mid-June, but suffered a hamstring injury, went on the DL. His numbers at AAA this year, not very good. 446 ERA, 135 with 8.6 strikeouts per nine innings. But that's Colorado Springs. It's yeah, almost like the Coors Field of the minors. Last year in the minors, Woodruff emerged as a, as a pretty good prospect. 268 ERA, 102 whip, 9.9 strikeouts per nine innings. Are you keeping an eye on Woodruff? Well, to put his – I'm going to try to put his numbers into context if the, le- if the page will load. His 446 ERA among starters on that team – that's it's pretty good. Like yeah. you look at Brent Sutter, who's had some success in the majors. He had a 4.42 ERA uh, in his eight starts at Colorado Springs. So that's that's kind of to be expected. Woodruff, I'm I'm probably excited about him on the level I am a Lucas Sims. It's it's not like Luke Weaver's getting called up, but mm-hmm. there's you know there's reason to be interested and at least keep an eye on the performance. And while we're on the subject of prospects, let's talk about. The ones that are worth stashing, who haven't been called up yet. I, of course, write prospects report every week. I wrote it on Tuesday this week, but none of these players have been called up yet. My top five to stash, Dominic Smith. We've obviously been hearing about how he should be soon, uh, 
not far behind Ahmed Rosario. They've cleared a spot for him by trading Lucas Duda already. Reynaldo Lopez has been on a great run at AAA. And uh, based on the way Miguel Gonzalez performed Thursday, he was one of the White Sox good pitchers. <laughs> and he allowed seven earned runs in one and two-thirds innings. So Reynaldo Lopez can't get here fast enough as far as I'm concerned. And I think uh, Rick Hahn recently said he's forcing the issue. Would, so be, would definitely be someone to be excited about. Yes, even more so than Woodruff. Probably more on the Luke Weaver level. Yes. Ronald Acuna, don't know that he'll get called up. He's 19 years old. He began the year at high A, but has just stormed through the system, getting better at every level. Uh, power, speed. This this looks like a transcendent talent who is going to be a big part of the Braves' rebuild. And uh, he, the Braves are an organization I know that believes in letting the prospect dictate the timetable. They don't play a lot of those service time games. Yeah. So I could see him getting called up. I'm not saying he will, but I think the upside, it's kind of what I said about Rafael Devers yeah. the final couple of weeks before he got called up. I don't know that he's going to come up this young, but the upside is so high, and I think the chances are good enough that it might be worth stashing him in leagues where you stash prospects. A, a September call-up might make more sense, but yeah. Tyler Glass now has been on a great run at AAA. I'm not sure if he's made a start since I wrote this column, but he he, he was 6-0 and with a 146 ERA, .99 whip, 85 strikeouts in 55 and two-thirds innings. Still the walks, though. Pirates think he's made strides in other areas, mixing pitches and, and such. So uh, we could see him soon, but it's, uh, it's going to be like with Blake Snell when he returned. I don't think you can just assume everything's going to be different. But I like what I've seen. And then Reese Hoskins, he hit two home runs Thursday. Twitter was going crazy over it. Seems like the world has started to get on board with the idea that Reese Hoskins is more interesting than Tommy Joseph, so maybe the Phillies will get there soon. 24 years old, so they kind of need to call him up. It is worth noting, uh, going back to Glass now, he's only got 16 walks in his last seven starts. Uh, he walked... Eight in his first two at AAA, but his last seven, he's got 16 total. Only one start with more than three walks, so that'd be a good sign. But like you said, Blake Snell also had promising numbers in AAA before getting recalled, and he's been just kind of the same frustrating guy since. We have about 15 minutes left. Again, we have to vacate for the football guys, and they're very important football things. So <laughs> I am going to transition us to two-start pitchers for now, and then we'll go back to Thursday performances as time allows. Obviously, uh, a lot of must-start pitchers in week... What, are, what week are we going into? 19? I believe we're going into week 19. Yeah, I think so. Uh, among those who are owned in less than 80% of CBS Sports Leagues, that's usually the cutoff I use for whether or not a pitcher is a sleeper. The highest owned among those less than 80% is Mike Clevenger. But I'm not sure how this bullpen move is going to affect how the Indians lay out the rotation for the upcoming week. I don't know that we can guarantee Clevenger is going to be a two-star pitcher versus Colorado at, at Tampa Bay. He's kind of struggled recently anyway. I'm not terribly excited about using him, even though he is highly owned. Ulysses Chassin. 69% owned at Cincinnati at the Dodgers. He's been good, very good, very consistent lately, but we do, he does have extreme home away splits, yeah. and these are both on the road. Yeah, I don't know if I would trust him, especially like 
the, the Dodgers Reds, matchup. The Reds are an okay matchup, but I wouldn't say they're a great matchup. That's a team that can definitely put the ball out of the yard. They've got some pretty good hitters. Small yard, too. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I don't think I'd feel comfortable starting Ulysses Chassin, at least in roto or categories. And head-to-head, you know, he can't hurt you. What about Ariel Miranda? I feel like he is never that bad. He's rarely that good. But he's usually fine at Oakland. Very good matchup versus the Angels. A decent matchup. I I think Ariel Miranda, at least for points leagues, is looking like a pretty good sleeper this week. All right, here's the thing. Can you trust him to keep the ball in the yard? Uh, well, at Oakland is big. Yeah, he allows he he's allowed 27 home runs in 22 starts. He yeah. has 1.9 home runs per nine. So that's going to be because he actually hasn't been bad other than that. Like, you think about 1.9 home runs per nine, you've got a 4.41 ERA. You're doing something well. Um, Oakland's not a bad spot, and the Angels obviously aren't a terrible matchup either. But it's uh, I don't know. It it's hard to. It's hard for me to get excited about him, I guess, as someone who's widely available. Do you like him better than Clevenger and Chassin this week? Because he's looking like my favorite so far. I Miranda like him is. better than Chassin, and with Clevenger, it just depends on if they use him out of the bullpen yeah. tonight or are they going to give him two starts next week. Right. Parker Bridwell is 65% owned and has been among the most viewed players, I feel like, all week. I'm glad he was awful on Thursday because <laughs> that needed to well, – he wasn't even awful. That's probably overstating it. Four earned runs in five innings, three walks, four strikeouts. He was more what I expect Parker Bridwell to be, though. He was coming off four straight quality starts, including one earned run on three hits in seven and third innings last time. But uh, only one of those four starts had a respectable strikeout total. I think he can stop being most viewed even with the two starts coming up. I don't – yeah, I think people I are going him. to add him, and I think that's going to be a mistake. He's a fly ball pitcher who doesn't get strikeouts. He's got decent control, but that's that's a bad combination. Trevor Cahill versus St. Louis at the White Sox. Pretty good matchups on an awful run, like we said earlier. I would I would start him. I would I, trust him. I think yeah. that the Cardinals are a middling matchup, um, but the White Sox are one of the best, maybe the best one in baseball, even at Chicago. This might be the last hurrah for Trevor Cahill. For me, if he can't cap- capitalize on these two starts, I think I'm cutting him loose. And uh, I don't blame you. Yeah, yeah. And I don't even know that I'd start him in a categories league, even with these two starts. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Are you starting the God with matchups against the Dodgers and Cubs? Zach Godley. You're referring to Zach Godley, yes, yes, who... It is basically just God at this point with the strike, the swinging strike rate, the walk <laughs> rate, both top 10, and his ERA's south of two now. I I don't know how he's – still, 88% seems low to me. But Dodgers and Cubs, uh, yeah. No, I trust Godley against anybody. Okay. Even in a one-start week, I'd start Godley. This last matchup, six shutout innings at the Cubs. So – you know, two starts before that was Washington. Four and runs in five and two-third innings, but he struck out ten. Like, I feel like Zach Godley is just an awesome pitcher, and more people need to get on board with that. All right. Brent All right. Suter at Minnesota versus Cincinnati. He's 57% owned. Really interesting pitcher. Really unconventional pitcher. Throws in the 80s, but has been – his last start wasn't great Wednesday, but – it's been good overall, and at Minnesota versus Cincinnati, pretty good matchups. I, I don't have a problem starting Suter. 
Yeah, that's okay. I I probably like him more than I like uh, Shasin. And then we get into the guys owned in less than 50% of leagues. J.C. Ramirez versus Baltimore at Seattle. I'm yeah. never really interested in him. Jordan Zimmerman. Matchup, good, pretty good matchups at Pittsburgh versus Minnesota, but he was he, he was good last time. Yeah, he was good I against just, the Yankees. I just, I don't, I'm not ready to put faith in him again. Neither of us like Matt Moore anymore. Uh, yeah, it's it's. I don't. Really it's not see a great. It's not a great week for two star pitching really options. Isn't. Last week there were a lot of guys that you could go out and add uh, to your team who had two starts. This week, you know. Luke Weaver's currently listed as a two-star pitcher, but we don't expect that to be the case. I would expect. Who would get the two starts in that case? Because it won't be Rain Wainwright. He's pitching on Saturday. Well, I will be ranking all two-star pitchers for next week yep. this afternoon. Unfortunately, since it's this afternoon, I'm, I don't have it ready for this morning. But obviously, check it out on CBSSports.com, two-star pitcher rankings. I Rank them every week and update them on Sunday as well. So any changes that happen over the weekend get updated. It's uh, very helpful, I hope, because I invest a lot of time into it. It is very helpful. Yes. Good. I don't have to say hope. Uh, okay, so a couple interesting ones who are scarcely owned here. Uh, one who actually pitched yesterday, and I wanted to talk about him in pitchers we don't like, question mark, what is Matt Boyd who was coming off three quality starts, but Thursday was not very good. Three earned runs on five hits in four and a third innings, four walks, and six strikeouts, again, in four and a third innings. I think he's interesting, A, because he was coming off three quality starts, and B, his minor league numbers, 282 ERA, .94 whip, 9.4 strikeouts per nine, 2.3 walks per nine. Normally a good control pitcher, even though he walked four yesterday. His matchups are at Pittsburgh versus Minnesota. Pretty good. Only 15% owned. What do you think at about Pittsburgh, Matt Boyd? At Minnesota. Um, I guess I might like him more than Ulysses Chassin, but... Well, that's like a you you know, know, 50 di 50% difference in ownership, so that's... But the thing is, we're looking at a guy who's going to turn 27 in the offseason. He's got 233 major league innings under his belt, 45 starts. And he's got a 5.55 ERA and a 5.08 FIP, and so you know, at, at what point do the minor league numbers stop mattering, and and we start acknowledging that this might just be a trip, a quad A pitcher? Yeah, and he does. He's he's a fly ball pitcher too. So, you know, the three quality starts they were barely quality starts. Home runs are a concern. Unless he has a big strikeout rate, I don't know that he's going to be a big impact player in fantasy. Yeah. I do think he might be a reasonable sleeper for this week, though, with the two starts. I also wanted to mention Matt Garza, same ownership, 15% at Minnesota versus Cincinnati. He returned from a DL stint for a lower leg strain Thursday and one and runs in five and two-thirds innings, four strikeouts. A fine, not great start, and that's kind of been what he's done all year. Has a 368 ERA, 125 whip for the year, less than six innings, though, in four of his last five starts. Understanding that he's unlikely to give you a quality start, but you know the ERA and WHIP are okay. He, he can be fine. Do you think he's fine for this week? I with probably those prefer him to Matt Boyd. You prefer him to Matt Boyd? I think so. I don't know that I do, but in a week where there's so few interesting two-start options, you may not be able to do much better than him. Austin Pruitt. I assume you guys talked about him yesterday. Uh, I don't think we did. Okay. Well, he had a very good start. He was the one who uh, was chosen by the Rays to fill in for Jake Odorizzi when we all wanted it to be Brent Honeywell. Instead, Austin Pruitt, six and a third shutout innings at Houston in his 
return to the rotation Wednesday, and he gets two starts versus Boston versus Cleveland. Bad matchups, yeah. but he's only 1% owned, and look at what he did at AAA in between his his last two major league stints, obviously, the second one beginning Wednesday. It was very, very good. Yeah, but even in 2016, he had a 22.7% strikeout rate at AAA. That's really good, but for the rest of his minor league career, he's pretty much been between 17 and 19%. Those are both Those are mediocre strikeout numbers and he strikes me as a guy who can get by in the minors with uh kind of middling stuff but is going to get rocked in the majors and that's what we've seen so far he's got a 565 era yeah in al in al only leagues you can use him but there i don't think there's any way i use him in a mixed league if the matchups were better i'd maybe go for him he is 27 years old so it's not like he's exactly a prospect but i i am intrigued just because of the way his last minor league stint went so uh, just just leave him for deeper leagues for now, but keep an eye on him. Got a few minutes left here. Let's talk about a few more of the hitter performances from Thursday. Ozzie Albies hit his first major league home run, a three-run shot in the ninth inning. He's one for eight so far. You still feel the same way about him as when he got called up? Yeah, but I, I, I liked him when he got called up. I know. Just making sure that one for eight hasn't changed anything. Rafael Devers hit another home run. And by the way, go search it out on Twitter. There's a picture. Uh, I don't know which outlet took it, but there's a picture of the people in the stands trying to catch this ball. And <laughs> just the faces that they're all making, the expressions, yeah. it's like it's like the Last Supper. Like right. It's so emotive. It's beautiful. Like there, There's something to pick out with every yeah, single it's person amazing. there. Yeah, I saw there's that. one guy looking the wrong way who is my, by far my favorite. Yeah, I saw that one on MLB.com. I don't know if... They were the that was the origin of the photo. Rafael Devers hit, hit another home run, his third in only eight games, batting 406 with five walks, seven strikeouts. Uh, I actually want to talk about him, Eduardo Nunez, and Mitch Moreland together because Nunez has been great too, two for five with a stolen yep. base in this game, fifth multi hit game in six. Mitch Moreland went two for five with two doubles. He's now six for 16 with a home run and four doubles in his last four games. They're all hitting great, which raises some concern when Dustin Pedroia comes back because somebody has to leave. I assumed it'd be Moreland. It would probably still be Moreland. I mean, Devers has certainly yeah. made his place now. Uh, I would assume Moreland playing. loses his everyday job. I, I he, He'll still be around, but I think just as a big right-handed bat off the bench. I think Nunez would be the second most likely to lose some at bats, but he's he's helped by the fact that he can play everywhere. Yeah, and I, I, I think when you have... That kind of talent and, and that ability, I think it's kind of like I said with pitchers earlier. We tend to worry about playing time for a guy like that, but if he's talented enough and can play in enough spots, they tend to find him some playing time. Tim Beckham has been ridiculous since the Orioles acquired him to be their starting shortstop from the Rays. Three for four with a home run and a double Thursday. All three of his games with the Orioles are multiple hits, three doubles, a triple, a home run during that stretch. But with those three doubles in three games as an Oriole, he's up to eight doubles overall for the year. He has 24 walks to 114 strikeouts, yeah. a 374 BABIP. There's talent here, actually. Like, you know, looking at his overall, you know, three years in the majors at this point, he's got a 182 ISO, a 341 BABIP. Like, there, 
there is enough talent here for him to play in the majors. He just has to get that strikeout rate down. And if he can't get it down, you know, you can strike out 31% of the time if you're Joey Gallo, if you're Miguel Sano, if you're Aaron Judge. He's not those guys. If he could get a strikeout rate down to 26%, I think there'd be, you know, some Tommy Pham potential. Alex Claudio recorded the save for the Rangers on Thursday after a couple of appearances where he entered in the seventh inning, entered the eighth inning. We weren't sure what was going on. We're still not sure what's going on because two left-handed hitters were due up in the ninth. Jose Leclerc, who got the one save. I, I think it's. I think Claudio has four of the Rangers' last five saves, and Leclerc was the one has the one other one. Uh, he didn't pitch in this game, so I, I kind of wonder if the Rangers were just seeing how the matchups lined up in the ninth and then choosing either Claudio or Leclerc based on that. I'm not sure they have a closer. Yeah, still not sure. Shane Green recorded his third save in as many days. Justin Wilson had 13 during his entire time with the Tigers uh, while well, the Tigers' closer this year. Uh, Green, I, I feel like like the Tigers didn't purge their roster at the trade deadline, you know? I, I feel like among the newcomers to the closer role, he's one of the more valuable ones, even though you know, may, he may not be quite good enough to close. I think yeah. he's good enough to keep the job, and the Tigers will win some. So uh, I, I think uh, you probably need to pick him up if you need saves. Before we, we go, I want to make sure we get to Kendall Graveman. Okay. Who, um, you know, looked to be potentially making a, a step forward early in the season, has, has added some velocity to his fastball, missed two months with the, with the shoulder injury, but got rocked yesterday, absolutely rocked. Seven earned runs, eight hits, and two innings of work, but the fastball velocity was there. He was hitting in the high 90s, average 94. This is a guy with a big sinker, throws it really hard. That can be a really good combination. You know, like we talked about earlier, you get, you get a, go, a, a mulligan in your first start off the DL. We'll see how it looks moving forward, but I think Kendall Graven is an interesting pitcher. But the strikeouts were falling, right? But even before he went on the DL, I, I kind of felt like we were over him in mixed leagues. That's fine. You're, I, not, you're not over him yet? It just, you know, it, it's. I don't think he's ever going to be a strikeout pitcher, even with the the big fastball, just because he's a, he's a ground ball guy. But, you know, it, it's weird which pitchers we, we look at and say, well, the injury is why they were struggling versus – well, they were struggling and they got hurt. Like, sometimes yeah. we, we do a correlation thing and sometimes we don't. And I just, you know, if he had a shoulder injury, that could explain why he wasn't pitching all that well. He's not going to be a big strikeout guy. But I think if you can, you know, throw 97, you know, average 94, 95 with your fastball, get that kind of, those kind of ground balls, you're going to induce a lot of weak contact. I think he can be a good pitcher. You're hoping he can be like kind of a poor man's Marcus Stroman, I guess. I don't know. The ground ball rate's not even nearly as good as that. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I like that he throws hard. I feel like Graveman should be a better pitcher in theory than he is in reality, but we'll see where he goes his second start back for the DL. And anything else, Chris? Anything else I may have missed you want to get in here at the last minute? Are we going to... No, I just hope everyone has a good weekend. Yeah. That's all. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a fine sentiment to have. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Even though Adam wasn't here, I enjoyed my stint in the host chair. I thought you did a great job. Oh, thank you, Chris. We will be undergoing a, a little bit of a scheduling change yes. next year with football. And next week. Very important football guys and the very important football things. Uh, they're going to kind of take the morning slot, so it may come out later in the day, except on Mondays. Yes, Mondays so will still be out by 1030. Yes. Probably more like noon the other day. So. Yep. We hope you guys stay tuned for the final two months and beyond. Uh, for Chris Towers, I'm Scott White. We'll talk to you again soon. Domingo Santana.